1: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount
0: using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
1: You're listening to The Extra Point Show with Sal Capaccio and Sneaky Joe DiBiase on WGR Sports Radio 550.
0: I can definitely sense it. I, I, I never felt like that because I've never been like that in my entire life. But you take uh, some pride in it to know that everybody doesn't like you. and It's not for anything you've really done. It's just for winning. So if that means some of the other teams and other fan bases aren't going to like me, I'll try to still smile on my face and not be a bad example. But I can be that villain for them if they, if they need me to be.
2: <laughs> okay, so that's Patrick Mahomes. He was kind of being asked about being a little bit like the villain now and people rooting against him, which we certainly are here in Buffalo. There's no doubt about that. And he was, he even said something about like how Brady was kind of that guy. And, you know, he he wants to put it, he wants to be a little bit more like to put a different spin on it, something like that. But he's now a little bit fully embracing that. And yes, I think a lot of people do consider him, you know, the villain here. Um, He is, I think, Joe, there's, there's a lot, you know, people love Patrick Mahomes, right? But at the same time, I think more and more of the country is kind of getting a little bit tired of him and seeing him there, or maybe just his personality. I don't know, but it seems like that's wearing off a little bit.
0: Might be more in the AFC than NFC. I wonder—is it just the teams that are continually getting, you know, blocked from getting their shot at winning it all because he's got to go every year? Other than maybe the Bengals, but even they would have the rivalry. So, like, if I'm a if I'm a if I'm a Seahawks fan. You know, like, do I do I get tired of Mahomes? Maybe. I don't know how that works because the only two times this has happened in my lifetime, it's Mahomes and it's Brady, and both times they beat the Bills every single year, so I, it's hard to have an unbiased take on it because I've never had a guy on the other side look, do this. The NFC sell, I think it's 18 different quarterbacks in the last 20 years. And in the AFC, it's six. Jeez.
2: It's amazing. And now... There are some other really great young ones we see coming up in the AFC, including C.J. Stroud in Houston. And what he did last year, and joining us on the Western Hotline right now, our guy, John Harris, the sideline reporter for the Houston Texans. He was at the Senior Bowl. He's all over prospects. And, of course, he covers the uh, Houston Texans and got to see C.J. up close and personal. What's going on, brother? Glad to have you today. It's Sal and Joe here in Buffalo.
1: Absolutely, boys. Good to join you. And, yes, I hate Patrick Mahomes, too. All right. there you go. <laughs> exactly
2: right. I mean, you got a pretty good guy there, though, now, man. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to see what he has become, especially in a year where, let's face it, he could have gone to Carolina that seems like they made a mistake. They take Bryce Young. The Texans get C.J. Stroud. But why did it go so well, so quickly for him, John?
1: Uh, you know, Sal, I've been asked this question so many times, and, I mean, it's, it's almost a cop-out, but in a sense, he's just a special guy in every way. You know, off the field, he's a great leader. I mean, you know, I think it was probably week three or week four where he's given the speech. You know, I, I you know watch all the mic ups and everything. I've seen Josh, you know, do that for the Bills, where he walks in after his TV interview and he walks to the front of the room and it gets quiet and he's the one talking and leading that team. You know, CJ became that guy in week like four or five. It was incredible to watch. Um, you know how he just took over as the guy everybody was following, and you know this team had some young pieces. There's no question. And a lot of the, the core pieces are younger guys, but everybody looked to what he was doing. Um, the the veterans, Laramie Tunsell was like, I'll follow seven. And I think we all got to that point, like we'll follow seven. I mean, he's, he's confident yet not cocky. Um, he knows how good he is and knows how good he could be he played. I don't say, and he even said this, he didn't play this season with a, with a chip on his shoulder. But he definitely played as if he was trying to prove a point that, hey, y'all missed it on me. Um, you know, when the S2 test conversation comes up, he's just <laughs> like, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Um, but I know, in fact, I talked at the Senior Bowl. Um, I know that there were, there were GMs that had um, relatively high picks that were scared off by that S2 test. And the thing is, is when you watch this guy work in practice and you watch this guy just work during a game, And then you try and correlate that, like, that just doesn't make sense because he's making the smart throw every single time. He knows exactly what to do with the ball every single time he's got it. Um, And from week three on, I mean, he put us and got us in every game. Now, there were some veterans that played probably above their head a little bit. There were some rookies like Will Anderson Jr. He traded up for and Tank Dell uh, that really are going to be core pieces. Um, And then Derek Stingley – was finally able to stay healthy. It didn't look like it for a while. We finally got him back in like week 11, and it was like, whoa, this is the Derek Stingley Jr. we thought we were going to get. So it was a good good, uh, molding of young with veterans led by D'Amico Ryans. And, you know, D'Amico, as much as CJ did, you know, yeoman's work, he will turn and say D'Amico Ryans is the reason that this organization is where it is. Nick Casario has done a great job in the front office. You know, the Deshaun Watson trade, drafting CJ, moving up to get Will. D'Amico Ryan's has set the tone. There's a positive vibe in this town. Again, the fans in Houston love D'Amico from his time as a player. They love him even more as a coach. And I spent a lot of time with him, halftime interviews, You know our coach's show on Monday. And I don't know that I've ever seen that guy not have a smile on his face. Um, and he's just, all no matter what. And I, and I love that. And I think the team feeds off of that. So it's been a combination of a lot of different things. But when we were looking at the AFC last year and you look at all these quarterbacks, you are like, man, well, we need one. Well, in a short time, we got one. Um, and hopefully we've got one of the better ones in the league that's going to put us you know, in a position to play these big games against you guys, against Baltimore, against Kansas City, and play in these games. And, and not only just be you know, a participant in the game, but to be in the game uh, and make that a must-see five-star matchup, as the Steelers used to say. the five-star matchup because we're in it, and hopefully that's what it's going to be for us in due time.
2: John Harris joining us on the Western Hotline. The pieces around him, interesting, and including coaching staff. So Sloak returns. Uh, D'Amico Ryans does a great job, obviously, with that group. Uh, It's really nice to get that, right? When you have this success, a lot of times guys leave. Sloak was up for some jobs. That's really going to help CJ as well. As you know, that that continuity and that piece is going to help the Houston Texans.
1: Oh, I was at the Senior Bowl sweating out. Um, I've known Gerard Johnson for a long time, and, you know, he got in, he became the quarterback's coach, and he was, you know, with CJ for a long time. I mean, they've known each other since CJ was 16. He coached him at the Elite 11. You know, Gerard is well-respected in this town as well. And so, there was talk about Gerard. You know, was he going to take another job? Was he going to go to the Saints? He was the second interview with a number of different teams. And he was such a part of CJ's development. Um, and then you had, obviously, Bobby Slowick and, and what Bobby meant um, and what they meant to each other. And, you know, Bobby's obviously flirting with head coaching jobs. And then when I'm at the Senior Bowl – to the day that D'Amico Ryans was hired, it was the exact same day one year later, I'm down in the field, and I'm like, oh, Bobby and Gerard are both staying. So the ecosystem, so to speak, around CJ stays. And and you guys know it as much as, as I do. The continuity around a young quarterback is massive. Absolutely massive. You know, we talked about Mahomes earlier. Nobody likes him. But think about what Mahomes, you know, he obviously, you know, had the Matt Nagy thing. You know, Nagy had to go and come back. And, you know that kind of thing, but for the most part, they kept things around. You know, Andy Reid, the personnel for the most part, well, minus Tyreek, they kept it pretty similar around Patrick Mahomes, and I think that's helped his development. When you think about a guy like Alex Smith, Alex Smith was drafted number one overall of the 49ers. He had five offensive coordinators in five years. I mean, you don't get anything done at that point. Now, his coordinator the fifth or sixth year ended up being and coach ended up being Jim Harbaugh, and also Alex Smith started to turn the corner, became a Pro Bowl quarterback. It's not going to happen for Justin Herbert, where he takes another step. That's a different story for a different day. But the coaching continuity staying around CJ is going to be good. His receivers, Tank and Nico, are both under – well, Tank's Mm -hmm. under his rookie contract. Nico is in his last year of contract, and I think he's going to get extended at some point. But we got to a point where those guys became better with better coaching. CJ took his game to a different level with good to great and consistent coaching – and it's just a lesson, you know, around the league, like, hey, continuity is a good thing. Now, you can also at some point, as you guys learned, you can also need a kick in the ass. You can also like, hey, man, we need a change. We don't know what it is. We're not totally sure. But, hey, maybe a change can help. You get, you get kind of mired in that. And so, you know, as we go into year two, it's great because continuity is going to breed success, hopefully. But, you know, we start kind of struggling a little bit. You know, hey, is there going to need to be a new voice that comes in and just offers some new ideas the ways we're doing things? But right now, compared to what we've had the last three or four years, I'll take the continuity. Um, mm-hmm. I'll take the continuity. I mean, I was in the Senior Bowl. Right. MLB, I saw Nick Cassario the first two days. Well, the first three years that Nick had a job, he was running a coaching search the entire Senior Bowl. He could never go. And so he's finally, <laughs> you know, at the Senior Bowl for the first time in four years. And I was joking with him. I was like, hey, you don't have a coach to hire? And he was like, no, not, not this time. And I think that's going to be the best thing for it, for us going forward. But keeping Bobby and Gerard uh, as our offense coordinator, quarterback's coach, respectively, was huge for us.
0: I mean, they still managed to get some nice picks, even not in the first. I mean, the two receivers you mentioned, Tank Dell and Nico Collins, I mean, they're both third-round picks, day two guys. Yeah. I, yeah. If I could you for a second on Collins, he had big numbers this year. I feel like his star power is not – Really, it's not there yet in league circles, or at least for the casual fan. Do um, you think that's going to change? Because I, I've a lot of the smart guys like chart like success rate or whatnot for for guys on routes. Like Collins was one of the better, even number one receivers. It seemed like last year.
1: You know, I feel like, especially for receivers, maybe I'm off base on this, but I, I feel like you have to go through a full football cycle for people to truly understand like how good, especially a receiver is. And I feel like I, I could see, Nico- I mean, I was a big fan of Nico's when he was at Michigan, but it, you know, he didn't play in the 2020 season at Michigan because he had opted, he had opted out. And then the big 10 said they were going to play. Well, he was knee deep in draft prep and he's like, well, do I go back? or not? And He decided not to. So he had to shake off some Russ as a rookie. Then last year, you know, he's got three or four different quarterbacks, uh, throwing to him that you know, probably shouldn't be throwing to him. And also he gets CJ this year. But Nico also turned a corner because he became great after the catch. Now, I know everybody saw the long ball against the Colts you on know, that Saturday night and showed he's got the deep speed, but he became an absolute monster after the catch. You threw him the football, and it turned into a, he turned into a running back that was really difficult to tackle. Um, and he showed all those skills. I think it's just time. I think once we get to the summer and we start thinking about, you know, fantasy, you know, team, what am I going to Oh, I'm going to get Nico Collins. He's playing with CJ Stride. I think there's going to be more talk about Nico mm-hmm. as we go forward. But here's the other thing with Nico. He doesn't say a thing. Like Nico is the sweetest sweetheart you've ever met. Like he's a killer on the field. And sometimes I feel like he has to go to a different mentality than what he is because off the field, he's just sweet as can be. Like always with a smile, doesn't say really a whole lot um, just kind of goes about his business but on the field he's gotten to where he kind of turns into a different dude um, and that's great I'm, I'm fine with that I, I don't I don't mind like Lou Keekley was that way off the field Luke Keekley was the best dude you ever met on the field he was a killer and that's kind of the way Nico is I think you give Nico this summer where people start thinking about fancy football and who they're going to draft for their team and Oh, yeah, Nico Collins is my guy. You know, that's a guy who put up a lot of numbers. I think you're going to hear his name a whole lot more. He just doesn't draw attention to himself a lot. You know, there are some younger receivers that like to do that. They like to talk. They like their podcast. And Nico's not like that. Nico just goes out and balls, and he, and he loves doing it. And he started embarrassing some guys this year, um, whether it was deep balls, whether it was, you know, run after the catch. He's going to be a stud with C.J. Stroud. But we got Tank on the other side. So we've got this kind of big little thing. But, man, they can hurt you in both the same ways. You know, deep balls, run after catch, reverses, screens, you know, all those kind of things. They both can do it. And one's 6'4", 220, and the other is 5'8", 160. I think Max is bigger than him, Sal. So, you know, you've <laughs> got you know, two receivers that can do multiple things. You know, I think we're looking for a third kind of in-between guy, maybe a younger guy that can develop. We definitely have a dynamic duo going with C.J. Stroud for sure, led by Nico Collins.
2: All right. Well, the-
0: Call from Mom.
2: The Bills are looking for receivers as well, John. You can go follow John on Twitter at jharrisfootball. He's owner of footballtakeover.com. dot com. Senior Bowl, a lot of prospects coming out. There's a good receiver class. The Bills have to, you know, get more explosive players. Even their front office said this. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott said explosive plays that leads to explosive players. So, we're looking at probably a wide receiver or two maybe in this draft. When you look at this draft class, I know a lot of people have, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a no-brainer No. brainer number one We've spoken to a couple who say they like Malik Nabors even a little bit more than that. But when you go down four or five deep, who are the guys you really like that could add explosive playmaking to the Bills' offense?
1: Well, I'm going to say this, and I'll say it, and I've said it already in Houston, I've said it in other places, I've done interviews. I think this class can be historic. It is so incredibly deep at wide receiver. It's unbelievable. I love this wide receiver group. And the thing is, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Marvin Harrison Jr. And as long as he doesn't end up with the Colts, I'm okay. And the Colts had enough success, I don't think he's going to end up with the Colts. So that's good. We don't have to live that nightmare again in Houston uh, of, Marvin Harrison, of Marvin Harrison being in uh, our division in the AFC South. So we don't have to live that nightmare, I don't think, as long as he's not with Indianapolis. But – Beyond Marvin Harrison, Malik Neighbors. Here's the thing about this draft class to me that's really interesting. It's almost like, okay, what's you looking for? Are you looking for you know the speedy kind of slot type that can you know run slot fades? I mean, the slot fade at LSU was an absolute guaranteed money contract from Malik Neighbors against Mississippi State, and I I broke this down. I did it from the Jaden Daniels angle, but. He threw the slot fade to Malik Neighbors probably four times, and Mississippi State was like, I don't know. Are they going to run that again? Oh, yeah. He did it four times for, like, four big chunk plays to Malik Neighbors. So, you want the slide, can play outside, you know, six foot, 195-pound guy that is an absolute deep threat, that's Malik Neighbors. He can be that for you. You want to create explosive plays, Malik Neighbors can, can definitely do that. But I think you can do that with guys even in later rounds of this draft, too. So, if you don't want to go – with Malik Neighbors early in the draft. You can go later in the draft. Roman Wilson, Michigan. Kind of a similar-sized guy, a little bit smaller. You could go to Roman Wilson from Michigan. He'll create explosive plays. He's going to run the 4-3 range at the Combine, no, no doubt. Lad McConkey from Georgia. I know when people see him, they're going to go, wait, he runs 4-3? Yeah, he runs 4-3. He can absolutely fly. Now, he'll give you a little bit more of the slot routes and things inside. But he will also create explosive plays because of that speed, and I think he can do it after the catch too. You get him something short, he can shake a tackle, and he can turn that into a 50, 60 sixty-yard gain. He can take a slant route, and he can burn everybody. Lad McConkey from Georgia, I think, he's fantastic. So you have kind of a you know Khalil Shakir, but if you wanted kind of a little bit more explosive Khalil Shakir, you can look at Ricky Pearsall, from out of Florida, glue mm. sticks for hands, six foot, two hundred creates instant separation, probably going to run the 4-4 range, tough, versatile, you can play him all over the field, um, runs tremendous routes. And then, of course, you've got the big guys at the top. You've got Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, 6'4", 200, 205, whatever he is, and obviously he's not going to get to where you guys are drafted. Rome Adunze, I love, absolutely love Rome Adunze. I comped him to a faster CeeDee Lamb uh, from the Cowboys, and getting a chance to see him up close to national championship game was great. Keon Coleman uh, is a 50-50 stud. You put the ball in the air, Keon Coleman's going to go get it. And then this year at Florida State, they decided, hey, can you run back punch? He's like, yeah, sure. He runs back punts for touchdowns. So he's got explosive game-breaking ability. Malik Neighbors, a deep threat that nobody will probably have their eyes on, I think, because of, you know, what's in the first round and then what you can get on day two, maybe day three, is Troy Franklin out of Oregon. He's, he's, he's life. He's 6'3", about 180. That dude is a pure deep threat. He can do anything you want down the field. So, if you're looking, this is, I think, the question that, that, that Joe and Sean are going to have to handle. Okay, there are some free agents out there, nah, and I don't know what the Bills money situation is. I know here in Houston, there are a lot of people talking about Mike Evans or even Gabe Davis or you know, paying money. I'm like, why pay money? It's already a position of strength and it's a deep draft class. So, Joe and Sean are going to have to battle with that, and that is Man, do we in the first round? Do we lock up a guy in the first round when we can get maybe a player of that ilk? Maybe just not quite that. Maybe in the second and third round, and maybe get a position where it's not as strong uh, in the first round that you have a position of need and wait to get the receiver in the second and third round. Because I can absolutely see wide receiver um, going. I mean, I'm just looking at, at my my rankings. I'm 15 to 20 deep. I mean, I didn't even mention Xavier Worthy. Adnan Mitchell, from te- both of them from Texas, the two other Washington Husky receivers, Jalen McMillan, Jalen Polk. I mean, if you can't find a good receiver in this draft, <laughs> then as a GM, you should probably hang up your you – just hang it up. <laughs> just hang up the cleats because there's a stud everywhere you look. The question becomes how far and how long do you wait before you end up saying, okay, now this is the sweet spot. Because I think, honestly, there's going to be sweet spots at a receiver all the way through this draft.
0: Yeah, just to follow up on that quickly, that I, I hear all that and how deep the class is and talented. The Bills, like on their money situation, they're not going to have really anything. Like, it'll be bargain bin shopping uh, at best for free agency. And if Gabe Davis leaves, which I think is pretty much expected, uh, John, then they're going to need whoever the rookie receiver is to basically be the second outside guy. Um, with digs on the other side. So, but but as you're talking like I guess even round 2, round 3 and you saw Tank Dell this year in round 3, like you can get immediate, you know, return on on oh. that position. Absolutely.
1: I take you back to Senior Bowl 2023 day 1 and I'm watching this kid from BYU just tear everybody up. I'm like, "Dang. 6'1", 200, 205, 210, whatever he is." I'm like, "Man, Puka Nacua, who's this guy? God, he's tearing everybody up on day 1." And I wrote my notebook, and I went back and looked at my notes, and it was, like, intriguing to say the least. Well, then day two, he was gone. Well, the Rams were like, yeah, he didn't test all that well, but they ended up drafting Puka Nakua, wasn't the 5th sixth round. Now, look, I know they're outliers. I get all that. But if you get the right guy, and especially in a draft this deep, you're going to find, I think, the right guy. Maybe, maybe not the production in year one, maybe like a tank Dell hat or Puka hat, but you're going to get a guy that I think first half of the year kind of learns the way things go in this offense, Second half of the year, Josh starts learning, okay, this is a guy who can get the ball to, he can do some things. I think that guy will have a higher learning curve. But in this draft, you're going to have it. I mean, it, it goes 20 deep to me. I think I'm going to have 20 probably in the top – probably the top 20, in the top 75. So you're going to be <laughs> able to find whatever flavor of receiver that you want. To me, it's almost better to not have the money, to not be, you know, man, am I pulled by a T. Higgins and we got a lot yeah. of money to spend. Trust the two guys you already have and then go get a rookie. I think the same for you guys. Trust what you have and go get a rookie. You don't need the rookie to be a number one right away. And I think that's going to help. But if you get the right guy, and I think there are plenty of right guys in this wide receiver draft that you can go get and make that team. Um, Now, I hope you guys screw it up because we got you (laughs) you guys come to Houston and I hope you screw it up. But I don't think this is one that you really screw up. This is not a diamond in the rough sort of thing, like running back is. Like running back, the running back draft is going to be tough. Very, very tough. Wide receiver, throw a dart at the board, you're going to get a good one.
2: Listen, man, we we could do this all day. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's catch up again, maybe in the next month or so, and closer to the draft. I'd like to talk about interior defensive linemen and um, maybe some other needs for the Bills. But this is great stuff, John Harris uh, at J Harris Football on Twitter. By the way, Football Takeover is where you can find him as well. He's got all his stuff there for the prospects. Before I let you go, though, two things. Number one, the Bills do play there this year, as you said. I. I know we had a conversation a couple of years ago, Bill O'Brien never wanted the roof open. He wanted to close. Is that still the case? When's the last time the roof was open there?
1: Yeah, there? There was some debate. I can't remember what game it was, whether the roof was going to be open. And then we heard, Oh yeah, it's going to be open. And then they tried to open it on a day and then didn't walk through. And it was like, Nope. So uh, yeah, I don't know if the roof's going to ever be open. Um, uh, you know, there, it's just, no, it's just, it's not, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. I mean, October and early November, you don't want the roof open in Houston. You don't want it right. open. So then you get to December, and you're like, yeah, you're playing big games at that point. You want it to be loud, so you keep it closed, so that you know the noise can you know surround a particular team at that point and make it really tough for them. As Cleveland found out in a playoff game. So yeah, I don't think that roof is coming open anytime soon.
2: Right, your your colleague, play by play man, Mark Vandermeer, wrote a, a column at the website today about primetime games for the texans and i he predicted i checked it out did not include the bills does that feel like a primetime game for you next year down there
1: i do he has not listened to me but i, I do <laughs> i think that's definitely that definitely should be a primetime game which should allow us to go get some barbecue before the game that's out. right buddy yeah right. i um i think that should be like we've got some i think we've got the possibility of having some some big time probably. we got dallas at dallas
2: yeah, we got right. uh,
1: you guys here. We got Kansas City at Kansas City. and We have got Baltimore here. I think there's at least a couple of those that are going to be primetimeers. I, I would, I would put us, I would put us and y'all in the primetime slot. But you know, you gotta, you gotta get the Giants and you gotta get the Cowboys yeah, and you gotta get the Packers know. and Niners. their five games a year. You know, it was weird because we played every game at noon this year. I mean, noon Central Time every single game until the right. Colts game. And then we played finally on, on primetime. We, and people in Houston were like, how are we going to adapt? How are we going to adjust? I'm like, it's primetime. These these rookies, Will Anderson and, and T.J. Stroud, they're used to playing at 730. They're not used to playing at noon. They'll be okay. So, we getting back to some primetime looks, um, it was good. It was good for the nation to see us play this year and see what we got. Um, but it will be a tough schedule next year. There's no doubt. We're going to. We're going to our, get our money's worth with the schedule. But luckily, most of, them, most of the toughies are coming to Houston, which I like,
2: including you guys. Okay, so we got to go and talk hockey. Something you might have to do down the road, by the way. You might have to do that in a couple yeah. years from what we read and hear, right? Yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, I, is that going to happen?
1: Talk about that for 20 years here, Sal. Like, 20 years. Like, <laughs> listen, I love hockey. I went, I went to Brown. I went to every okay. single hockey game I possibly could. I learned hockey from NHL 93. From Sega Genesis. That's how I learned go, the rules Joe. of hockey. I mean, that that shouldn't. I mean, I know people are probably <laughs> that's yeah, right. But I lived in Houston. You know, I learned. That's how I learned hockey. So I love hockey. I would love to see NHL hockey here. But there's just there's been talk about it for 20 years, and nobody can pull the trigger and get a team here. But it'd be interesting whether the the city would support. I think they would, at least the first couple of years, the novelty of it. But if they didn't win right away, then it would be like, all right, we'll we'll get ready for football season. <laughs>
2: We will, uh, we will catch up with you down the road. Jot, always appreciate you, brother. And, uh, yeah, I am looking forward to barbecue in Houston, but again, to talking with you about prospects. So we'll do that again soon. Thanks a lot for this.
1: Absolutely, boys. Appreciate it. Anytime.
2: All right. You got it. Paul Hamilton up next. We will talk about the hockey team here, the Buffalo Sabres, and we come back in WGR.